A big thank you to everyone tuning in and a warm welcome to the podcast on starting and scaling AI ventures. For the first episode of the new season of the podcast, I host one of the pioneers of television journalism in India, Barkha Dutt. Barkha Dutt is a name every household remembers and no introduction will ever be enough. With over 23 years of experience in the industry and 21 years with NDTV, Barkha was the host of one of the most successful shows on Indian television, We the People. Barkha has won an incredible set of national and international awards both, including being the only Emmy nominated reporter from India and the Padma Shri, India's fourth highest civilian honor. She is an opinion columnist with the Hindustan Times and the Washington Post and the owner and author of the digital platform Mojo. Thank you so much for being on call today Barkha. Thank you for having me Shantanu. Could you tell us a little about the typical life cycle of a news story from start to end and uh, which element of this process you believe is the most susceptible to the slow execution of a human so to speak? So I don't think that there's a one size uh, fits all answer uh, to that question. uh there are stories uh, that can go on for months and there are stories that do not grab uh public attention for more than a few days um usually that depends on a number of factors uh the first uh is often whether anything new is happening in that story so to give you an example um you need constant movement even if it's the same set of developments you need for them to still be continuing for that story to still have value So uh, as I said to give you an example I spent about what more than 100 days reporting uh, among other things the migrant exodus from the cities to the villages and you know it 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 was a crisis a humanitarian crisis that kept unfolding layer by layer over a period of two months uh, so that's the kind of story that had a long uh, life cycle then uh, by contrast let's say there was the hathras gang rape which also uh, triggered very very strong reactions but within let's say 7 or 8 days you had the case handed over to the cbi and you know to, to some extent while that has not delivered the last chapter of that story uh, that did diminish that that was seen to be a kind of interim closure so the short answer to your question would be uh it basically depends on whether there is still movement in the story it depends on whether you're still triggering emotion uh whether you're still triggering uh, triggering international uh, intellectual curiosity i always say that a news story has to do one of the four things it has to either provide new information uh it has to make people angry or sad or give them hope right um uh or it has to make them laugh if it doesn't do one of these five things it isn't a story to begin with and if it doesn't keep reinforcing one of these five aspects uh, it can't be a new story for very long yeah and i think that framework just simplifies it a lot for folks who are not uh, in the space very much and of course just wanted to uh, now also take a two pronged approach to uh, introducing technology in ai in journalism because uh from the primary research that i did do i found there were two aspects uh to solve for when you bring in technology to this space that triggers emotions now the first one i believed was uh automation for churning out uh some stories in in the essence of manual intervention a little faster and the second being intelligence in how to build these stories and how to uncover tons and tons of facts from the hundreds and millions of documents that come across 
uh, every day. And just wanted to know from you, how impactful do you think each one of them is, or if, if one of them can serve the community better or worse? So I think automation is still being discovered uh, by the news industry, but would be of extreme value because there is a lot of time uh, that is in fact wasted in just writing um, out basic things like uh, the headline of a story, like its description, uh, you know, what is it about? Uh, who is it about? Who are the people being interviewed? And if there was some uh, way, and I know that there are now uh, bots that can do this for you. I know there are robotics that can do this for you, but it hasn't really been um, mass uh, sort of assimilated into the way we all function yet. I think we all know a little bit about it, but no one's really using it in a big way. Uh, but one, I, I'm certainly looking at this because I know that if there was, if this was sort of efficiently possible, it would reduce the number of people and uh, sort of woman hours that you need uh, to get this done. Uh, the second thing uh, that you spoke about, so automation, I think a lot of us would be very, very keen on knowing, knowing more about. And I'll give you a small example, like, you know, you've spoken about um, AI, but like, if I were to look at just something simple uh, as how technology has progressed in streaming softwares, right? So when I used to do television, it used to take a studio of about 12 to 13 people uh, to be sitting off camera right, performing different functions. So whether it was the character generator or the lower third, as it's called, coming at the bottom of the screen, or someone to roll out the pictures that would accompany what I was saying, or someone to put uh, like what's on top of the screen, or someone to keep talking to me in my ear to tell me what was happening if this news was still developing. But streaming softwares, uh, uh, you know, we're talking on one, but there are others as well, which are even more evolved. Streaming softwares now compress all of those functions, uh, you know, that, that needed 12 people into literally uh, one person teams. And um, I have hosted shows myself where I have been the one presenting, I'm the one interviewing, um, I am the one with a click of a mouse taking on those lower third captions. I'm the one who's able to roll the pictures. I'm the one who's able to take the live stream comments. Uh, and it is just absolutely, uh, you know, fascinating uh, that this is what's happening to technology. Uh, the, the, the other point that you made about, uh, you know, uh, how this can actually, the tools to reach more people, I think that is the most critical one. And I think that is the one that we have not fully understood the science of right now, right? So of course there's search engine optimization or SEO as it's called, but I think everyone knows it in a very sort of rudimentary way. And it throws up lots of uh, kind of intriguing algorithmic challenges. So let me give you an example. If I'm a startup and I am competing, let's say with legacy media that has huge resources uh, and is already established uh, online over X number of years, even if I know what, let's say, uh, Google Analytics or SEO is telling me are the keywords for the day, if I put them in my headline, I'm still going to algorithmically show up at the bottom of the search uh, hierarchy because there are so many big fat resource laden players on, you know, on the top of me. So for me, then my trick becomes to find the headline that will tease or provoke or lure in or, you know, clickbait to some extent. Um, so, so what I'm, what I'm really trying to tell you is that I don't think that in terms of current affairs and news content, especially for new players in digital media, we have 
fully uh, sort of developed the tools that we can uh, use to reach an increasingly fragmented audience where everybody is consuming content in their own little content bubbles. And I don't know what the answer to this is. This is very nascent. And I'm not sure that the conventional SEO algorithmic formulas are quite working for how fragmented the market is. Yeah, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense when you uh, also mentioned the algorithmic clickbaits and which, which mm -hmm. helps me uh, lead into third question as well, which was, uh, as, as a lot of people that we would speak to today would quote that the fourth pillar of democracy in some ways is uh, biased. And do you believe that intelligent algorithms, you know, they can also help uh, bring this bias front and center or could also sometimes possibly compound it even more? So just to uh, summarize, do you believe that technology or intelligence could be the answer for solving for bias in the newsroom? So I think technology is certainly a reconfirming bias in the audience, right? Because the, the very fact that the algorithm shows you more of what you look for, shows you more of what you like, uh, is creating echo chambers, right? And I think you've had the tech giants having had to deal with this question, right? Um, how do they, how do they uh, sort of answer for the fact that a user should have ideally access to a range of ideological and political opinions. But when I search for something, there's some sort of artificially, uh, artificial intelligence computed assessment of what I believe, right? And what I prefer. And then I keep getting shown more and more of the same thing. And to me, um, that is a stunting of intellectual growth. I don't know about bias, but it's certainly a stunting of intellectual growth. Our journalists bias, I think increasingly the Indian media is very polarized. In Hindi, uh, there is a phrase um, which I came up with uh, called uh, ya chamcha ya morcha, which means that either you're supplicants or you're activists. And uh, there are some of us who resist these labels. We prefer to be free thinkers. But what happens with free thinkers is uh, it's tougher to build up a loyal audience. Um, so if it's all about stickiness of audience, loyalty of audience, uh, bias is a good way to get audiences. Uh, you will find that the more polarized or polarizing uh, content is the more a certain kind of audience will gravitate towards it. So I think for people like me who belong to a kind of older school of journalism, uh, who are stubborn individuals, who, who hate labels, uh, this has been a challenge uh, for me in, in terms of the fact that if you're not willing to be owned by one or the other camp, ideologically speaking, then it is much tougher to build up uh, an audience. So two things on bias or three things on bias. One, there is a greater bias today in the media than there ever was before. The media reflects the polarized political times uh, that we live in globally, not just in India, one. Uh, two, uh, technology right now reconfirms and reaffirms bias, which is not great. Uh, and three, bias helps build audiences. So what do you do if you want to be unbiased? How do you build the stickiness of your audience? Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, thanks for your viewpoint on that, because I wouldn't say older generation, but more timeless, so to speak, because I think uh -huh. a lot of your audience still sticks around. Thank and uh, of course, from a, since uh, comparing now, since you've uh, been an NDTV and a journalism veteran in this space to uh, now working in the space more in a, as an entrepreneur, as an independent media, uh, AI technology, so to speak, is quite expensive, right? From the teams that work on it to the data being generated. Uh, so do you think that when, you know, when we're trying to bring in AI or technology in journalism, 
this may eliminate or so to speak exacerbate equity in journalism and room for small players gets gets harder as we keep going forward and big ones the, the ones with the money technically dominate the space that exists so yes and no right uh, uh no because i mean i found that with a very lean small team i was able to cut through the clutter of giant media houses uh by reporting the pandemic and uh, the migrant crisis literally from the road I, i in fact call my series on the road with the pandemic and uh it didn't seem to matter that i i didn't have uh the skill to use those ai tools you know of the kind that you're talking about it didn't seem to matter that i didn't have uh sort of giant marketing budgets or i didn't even have anyone doing seo i didn't even have thumbnails when i started right i didn't even have those basic old fashioned thing uh i had the advantage of a huge social media presence and therefore there was somewhat of a captive audience i didn't have to build it from zero and i had an advantage of a legacy brand i concede both of that but in the end uh the they were, you know i was still building my platform and uh, i was still building mojo my digital uh, uh sort of venture and yet one was able to cut through the clutter which gave me the belief that in a really big moment of crisis good there is no substitute to good reporting i think people they will always be an audience for it but the part that i agree with is that technology um was meant to be this empowering sort of space and in some ways it is it has made it possible for people like me uh to have very low barriers for entry into this space it has made it possible for me to live stream from sitting in ladakh to sitting in kerala to sitting in a village in uttar pradesh and i have carrying my sort of you know three little dongles with me that's that that that's all i've had uh but at the same time the scale that you talk about the scale uh, you know technology tends to lean towards those with 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 fat pockets and you know the fact is that even when you talk about seo i think everybody knows you can game the system or you can use bots or you can buy views right uh everybody knows this and um and and therefore i think that it is incumbent yet again much like it was in television uh it is incumbent upon advertisers in the digital space also to understand that numbers can always be gamed that and and that technology is playing a big part in in the gaming of those numbers yeah i don't know what the solution is i don't i don't know what the solution is and hopefully there will be enough disruptions in technology as there have always been classically uh you know and people have had to make their way around it i mean you know i was i'm i'm from the generation probably the last generation that still listen to music on cd's right cd's died with my generation uh, so technology disrupted that space so we wait for technology to disrupt uh, certain patterns technology has already disrupted a lot and uh, i don't know you tell me you're the you're the expert you tell me how this gets disrupted yeah that makes sense and i think it's especially when you mentioned from a uh, uh technology standpoint that the north star metric that we also have right now is views right on content sometimes so i think that is uh, you're right true i think there probably needs to be some other north star that will eventually come up that we start tracking based on different metric but for now yes uh, i think i yeah. feel the same way about it and uh, also now just wanted to switch gears as well since we've talked about capability i also wanted to discuss adoption uh, since the washington post that we recently set up a computational journalism lab as well recently i wanted to understand uh, to what degree do you believe news and media houses uh, both in the country and outside 
are open to move away from human in the loop processes and towards algorithmic news generation? So it would depend, right? I think some things can be algorithmically generated. Like I think we waste a lot of time and a lot of energy. Um, I, I think aggregators have shown us this, right? The fact of the matter is, you know, even as I'm building my digital platform, I keep telling my team that we are not a ticker tape, right? We should not be spending energy in what is already easily available to people in the larger news pool. So according to me, uh, basic information that is publicly known that is for example on the official feeds of your president your prime minister your political parties right your press conferences i don't understand what the need is for human beings to 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 mediate uh, that unless there's something said that needs deeper analysis there's a step to it which the human being can can come in but i think it's a waste of human energy it's a waste of people it's a waste of money it's a waste of everything to actually not do that via technology, right? Uh, but I think, I mean, I know my my sort of techie friends keep telling me that you know AI is reaching the point where it will be able to sort of you'll be ha you'll have deep fakes and people will be able to impersonate personalities. But I'm not so immersed uh, in the world of AI to have sensed that for myself. So my limited understanding is that while there is an aggregation of content that is certainly uh, robotically possible, uh, the personality that I bring to a story I do is why people watch me, right? Uh, for better or for worse, love me or hate me, they're coming to watch my take. Now, unless you can, you know, show me that the algorithm or the, is so clever that it can actually be me, uh, and if science has progressed to that point, then I don't know. So I'm say, responding as a layperson. I believe that we haven't reached that point and I don't know that we will in, let's say, the next five years. I don't know what happens after that. Yeah, and, and since I think one of the next things I also wanted to ask you was also, since you mentioned that it's, it's more personal that people come to uh, watch and they want your take on it more than anybody else's, uh, do you think also that journalists that, that you know are possibly talking about say text journalism or maybe not not television journalism so to speak uh, mm -hmm. do you believe those journalists should be seeing technology as a threat to the work that they currently engage in or maybe copywriters and and work like that or uh, is there a demanding need for incessant upskilling at all times or is it always going to be uh, something that you can just lay back on and wait for things to happen no there's a there's a pressing need to upskill the whole time, you know, um, I, I I look at myself as an example, right? I did my first master's in film and television production. I trained how to be a sound mixer and an editor. I learned how to edit on film. By the time I started working, editing had become non-linear um, and we were editing on, on, on Avid's and, you know, uh, Adobe Premiere. And, you know, now you can edit on your phone. Uh, you can create a graphic using Canva. You can stream, as I said, using any number of streaming softwares from vMix to StreamYard to, to Zoom, whatever is your preference, right? Um, actually, there is a danger of a great level of redundancy. In fact, I think you're going to see a massive uh, loss of jobs, a massive relevance of certain skills, uh, 
camera people is a good example, right? Today, I think anybody with a phone uh, and a basic eye for visual framing can do a certain level of camera work, right? And I always tell the camera people I work with that, you know, and, and, and the most massive layoffs in newsrooms across India have been that of camera people. Uh, so there are many, many skills that are going to be completely redundant. And I always tell my camera people friends this, that you better learn a new skill because you are going to be redundant otherwise. And this is true for a lot of the technical roles. Um, and also if your copywriting is going to be limited to just summarizing, for example, writing out, transcribing then I know that there's already automated software to do that. It's just about listening and summarizing, distilling. I know that there's software to do that already, right? So I think copywriting, basic sub-editing, um, all of that is going to be redundant. So upskilling is going to be the most important thing for people to, for people to do. I just am not convinced, and maybe I don't know enough, I'm just not convinced that you can replace personalities. So as long as the expectation of the audience is to have a personality-mediated content experience, uh, but then, of course, you know, I mean, everybody who's, all my geeky friends tell me that it's only a matter of time before that happens too. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe uh, it's only a matter of time myself, but I think uh, I, I do have... Uh, to do my own research on the front that you mentioned that camera people are the ones that uh, did go through the maximum layoffs because that sounds uh, like something that was coming, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, since uh, moving to the final leg of this conversation as well, wanted to uh, get your views on what aspect of technological advancement in journalism do you believe is uh, a, the most worrying as you speak? Because, you know, when, when things are going to be not having human in the loop processes all across the globe. What aspect do you think is the most worrying? And what do you believe could be some suggestions to ameliorate that damage in, in the future? So, you know, I used to say that India's media has gone through three tyrannies. The first was the tyranny of uh, the state when, when the state owned all media and you were not free to say what you wanted to. Then it was the tyranny of the market where the advertisers sort of were on your head and they were like, oh, if you don't, you don't get X number of TRPs, you're not going to get X number of ads. And now we're in the third phase, which is the tyranny of the algorithm, right? So I think what's happening is that what worries me is, is non-complexity. What worries me is in shrinking attention spans, the need to grab attention is so acute uh, newsrooms are so desperate for stickiness that they will compromise on the complexity of a story, in the way that they tell it, in the truth of how they tell it, uh, and also uh, how they present it, how responsible they are with it, how much time they take to fact check it, right? So th that's, that's the part that worries me. Uh, but I don't think we can wish it away. I think this is the truth of technology. And I think that the answer on how to ameliorate it will also have to come from technology. So technology has created fake news, but technology has also provided the tools uh, for fact-checking websites today that are devoted simply to the checking of webs uh, you know, of facts that are able to uh, look at a sort of technical timestamp uh, and see when a you know how old a video was when it was uploaded. Uh, look at other telltale signs to 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 authenticate it, right? Um, and I think in the end, I always tell people that you are going to get 
like you get the governments you deserve you also get the media you deserve and if if you are not going to be more discerning about content right i think for example for me a big rule in life is if anyone works with me i do not allow them to use wikipedia uh in part it is because of my own bizarre experience of you know um constantly finding absolutely crazy things about myself on my wikipedia profile which i then stopped looking at it's been i think a decade since i've looked at my wikipedia profile i don't even bother with it but the fact of the matter is that that i don't let anybody use it as a research tool so you've got to push people to go to attributable sources right that that are willing that that are not user generated i i i'm all for user generated content but i'm not for uh like just saying anything and then saying because it was on the internet it was a source right it it has to be a verifiable source uh i also think that internet publishing will soon have to be held to the same uh laws that mainstream old media publishing is and i think that the moment that that starts happening the moment that defamation laws uh that all other all no new laws are needed the existing laws of the land that apply to print and television should also apply to digital publishing and i think that the moment that starts happening people will think twice uh, before publishing something because just like we knew in older newsrooms that are you know we could get sued uh and i don't think see this is a free speech debate i know there's a whole generation of gen z's and millennials that will see this as a free speech debate all i'm saying is whatever law governs other media good you know if we agree that those laws are good there might be some archaic laws that need to go but if we agree broadly that there are some laws that are good for mainline media then there are good for digital publishing today yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think especially your point on uh the non complexity in the time people take to churn out these stories is uh changing and i think which is why I've, i believe i've seen and I, and i could be wrong but just uh from an outsider to the field i've seen a great rise in investigative journalism as well could be uh a, a process of the fact that newsrooms aren't doing it so somebody has to do it somewhere yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and thank you so much for this conversation work i think this was very insightful and helpful for me as well thank you for having me shanti I hope this was helpful and enjoyable for everyone who tuned in and please keep watching this space for more and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of Starting and Scaling AI Ventures goodbye